As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? You mad? All right. Hey, Louisa. Oh, hi. Hi, Jake. Hi. How you doing? Sorry, I'm going to catch you off guard. <laughs> no, no. I had a little bit of a dry mouth happening, so, you know, I had to take a quick sip. Um, how's everything going? Uh, good, good. I'm just chilling. Uh, no guest, no fighting. No fighting. Normal episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I know that the name of the show is Why You Mad, and I guess if people don't listen to it, it implies that it's about, like, fighting with them. And I think maybe that's the case of how people perceive us if they don't listen to the show. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but we're like so chill, Jake. <laughs> yeah. I think we're so nice. I don't know. Um, yeah, but I wanted to talk to you this time about... Um, man, I actually kind of feel bad that we didn't get to too much King of the Hill. So maybe we'll do a King of the Hill episode another time. I'm, I'm thinking about starting an entire King of the Hill podcast. So yeah? at some that's point, a good idea. Like, we'll talk about King of the Hill. That's a good idea because it's a show that could stand... I mean, it could stand up to like an episode per episode. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's cool. No one steal my idea. No one steal Jake's idea. Um, yeah, but anyway, I wanted to talk to you about Handmaiden's Tale. The Handmaiden's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. There we go. I knew I was saying it wrong. Uh, which is funny because I've read the book and I watched four seasons of it. <laughs> so you think <laughs> that I would know the name. But um, the reason I brought it up to you is because, you know, season four just started. And on Twitter and shit... A lot of the jokes were like, oh, my God, can't believe this show's still going. <laughs> you know, like, it's so fucking terrible and whatever. <clears throat> but it has obvious, obviously been going on this long because it's popular and it's doing really well. And it stars that chick from Mad Men. Yeah. You know? um, <clears throat> and it did start. So it's season four. So it started pro- approximately like right after the 2016 shit, you know. Mm-hmm. So when it first started, it was this thing that. Um, people like saw as like, oh, obviously a political metaphor for where we're headed with women losing rights to their body, bodily autonomy and like more conservative people taking over with Trump and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Big, heavy, double meaning with like Mike Pence and stuff. Exactly. 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 And, um, you know, it is a very good layered show and it was for a very long time, specifically in the way that it didn't frame the problems of like feminism or women or whatever as just like patriarchy and bad men, you know, it also layers in how women can be complicit in oppressing other women, um, how religion and media and politics, all these things that are supposedly like public um, sphere kind of narratives and policies and regulations are also shaped by and shape the oppression of women. Right. Yeah. And um, at some point, it became like more of this like superhero white feminist thing where the main character, you know, um, people complain, let's say like, well, let's say, okay, so the main character became this like white feminist hero who just goes above and beyond despite being in the worst circumstances of being constantly raped and dehumanized and lo- loses her child and loses her husband and her fucking identity, like everything. Yeah. Spoilers, still, by the way. Everyone. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about the whole Deal show. It. It's four seasons in. Come on, man. <laughs> it's a book from 1985. You should have read it in high school. Yeah, exactly. So she continues because she is this white feminist hero because also the, the show departs from the book. So then she um, starts to like make sacrifices. Like when she has an opportunity to escape, she rejects it and she stays back to be a rebel. Who's going to like liberate other women and children from this awful regime. Right. Um, so some of the complaints are like that it's unrealistic, you know, that it's like it paints white women as innocent of any complicity in Um, oppression of women culturally and it gives white women who are not in any kind of a socioeconomic precarious situation the opportunity to I guess wrap themselves in the most extreme versions of how women are oppressed even though they personally have never been in those positions while not really 
identifying themselves with the bad women, you know, with like the housewife women totally. who benefit, you know, from or the all of them or like the, you know, how you might have service workers in your house who you just see as people who provide you with domestic roles, but they have no identity to you, you know, all these layers of how women treat and benefit off of how some women are mistreated. The watchers of the show are not identifying with that, right? But then there started to arise the complaints of like mm, gratuitous rape, right? And you know, when there's something like um, Game of Thrones, you know, like that had gratuitous gratuitous rape. Yeah, Game, Game of Thrones is a fantasy and a completely made up land in the same way that this one is. But the addition of rape and especially like showing it is purely just for shock value. It has no other function in the show. In Game of right? Thrones? In Game of Thrones, yeah. I maybe disagree a little bit, but... More. No, because they could say it happened. The showing it, I don't think is necessary. Because that's what people are triggered by, not the, the idea that a rape happened. In oh, order sure. To, you know? But yeah. the fact that they made whole scenes of it. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. with the t- television adaptation, people were, like, kind of... You know, like, why would you show this? And it's weird because I, I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones later because I think it actually has a lot in common with the show. Right? But yeah. um, Game of Thrones is also gratuitously violent. So I think it's part, in its, it's style, part of that, is it's yeah. like it's fucking gratuitous. So, yeah. sure, you know. I agree. That's a good point. Exactly. It's stylistically pa- part of what it does. It's like gory, like something that's gory or, yeah. No, I agree. That's a good point. So I would say that for Handmaid's Tale, it is also something that is functioning in not just a stylistic way, but in a meaning way. Um, it kind of came up when we talked about like how people don't like the academic use of bodies, you know, when we say like black bodies and brown bodies suffering violence in media, right? Yeah. Because they want to say like, these are not bodies, these are people, right? <clears throat> we want to think of people as individuals who have names and identities and experiences. So we want to humanize the body that has been shot by a cop or killed by, you know, a border person, you know, that kind of shit, right? Yeah. But the reason that the academic term of referring specifically to the bodies came up is kind of because of Foucault, because he was one of the first, maybe the first to make the point that the way that the state exercises power upon us is through displaying its its power on our bodies. Okay, so if you go all the way back to when they were like um, beatings in the town square and beheadings and hangings and shit like that. That is quite literally the state exercising its power over humans by putting it like violence on your body in front of a whole bunch of spectators to make an example out of you to show them and instill fear in them of the government's or like the system's power over your body specifically. You understand me? So... It is important, I think, especially when we're talking about like women now still struggling to retain rights to their bodily autonomy in all different parts of America and in the world, that a lot of people, like people who can't have children, let's say, or who don't have uteruses or whatever, I think live in a world where they don't as often directly experience the state's power over their body. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Whereas women do, uh, black people do, indigenous people do. Um, you know, if you can walk through a store and you're followed around because they think you're fucking dangerous, that's your body being policed. It's not you as a person. It's not your identity. It's not your name, Jake. (laughs) You understand me? Yeah. So why have all these rape scenes, let's say, in this show? Um, To somebody watching it now in modern times, they're like, oh, it's gratuitous. Why do we need to see that they rape every handmaiden and they rape the wife and they rape everybody gets raped, right? I feel like that is this like kind of messed up artifact of modernism where you have like historical blindness, right? Kind of like the marriage thing, to be honest with you, where there's this pretense happening where because in the last 50 years, 50 to 100 years, we in our culture think rape is wrong and have been saying rape is wrong. We have decided that it must not have been a thing that happened literally regularly for 1,000 or more years of our history. That rape was part of warfare, part of land exchange, part of power alliances. <coughs> it was part of religious fucking shit, you know, like priests yeah. raping shit, children. Like, it, rape has existed longer than most of our systems. So for us to now be like, oh, I shouldn't have to see that, 
is a luxury of the people who were never in a precarious place where their bodies were to be impacted by the state mechanism. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's why it's an important yeah. part of the story here. It's supposed to shock you. It's supposed yeah. to, like, jar But not for you. no reason. Right. For the, for the reason that it this to you seems unnatural this version in this show well as someone who read all the yeah. game of thrones books i think that they function like this in the mm-hmm. books and in the in the the show they do a really good job of using the intensity of the way those stories are told yeah. for a long time to like really really tell the story like when the first thing that happens in game of thrones another spoiler if you're from the past and you've never seen this <laughs> fucking wildly popular show you know the, the end of the first season is fucking this guy getting his head cut off and it is like so intense you're like jumping out of your chair going like what the fuck what the fuck how did they cut his head off right and like the 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 violence there is part of that but what happened with the game of thrones is that this this fucking the the show just came apart because it's a famous prestige television thing that left the Mm -hmm. books and had bad showrunners and stuff and so i think that it started to actually fail at what it does and it did kind of just have some scenes where it was like well this doesn't serve the story at all and it it doesn't even serve it in the stylistic way that i'm talking about it's just like Mm -hmm. you just watch that show in the late seasons and you're like what why (laughs) some of it just didn't make any fucking sense i think it was bad storytelling yeah but go ahead yeah i totally agree um no i i completely agree but so you have you agree with my point that it does serve something at some times and i think in this show um it it does serve kind of if you wanted to see it at the beginning as an allegory for like Trumpism and shit. It's pretty crazy that now in Biden time, it's like, oh, now it's going too far for me. The allegory when we're not that like the situation's not that different. Yeah, those <laughs> you people know? Can go anywhere, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the same women that were in a precarious situation uh, during Trump are still in a lot of bad situations currently. So now for you to be like, oh, I'm averse to having to see rape on TV instead of thinking about why rape is literally essential to the organizing. It's like an organizing principle of that society in yeah. that show. Right. Yeah. So let's think like, look, now that we're talking about birth rates and all this shit, like we're so fucking close Jake, to being in a handmaid's tale kind of world. <laughs> like, it's really not that fucking far off. Um, but anyway, that's that's like the wrap up of the show and where we are. And so in the last few seasons in the last couple of seasons, it became more like fantastical. Right. More like, oh, white women out to save the world. Right. <laughs> and like she's going to come up with a plan and she's going to save the Marthas and the children and everything. Right? I, I, so I only yeah. watched like the first five episodes mm-hmm. of the first season. I, I had watched them before. I think I got up to three or something. And yeah. I, so I had not gotten to season or to episode four, the ending or whatever, which I just kind of got through a couple hours ago. And like, yeah. really? I'll tell you my thoughts on this, like when we get to me or whatever, yeah. but like something that I, I was into it until this line at the end of an episode where she goes like, I'm a handmaid, bitches. Yeah, dude, <laughs> exactly. So it becomes corny. like Terminator of handmaids. Yeah, yeah. I like, get so fucking corny. Just inserting that sort of like apocryphal, or no, it's sci-fi, so it's not apocryphal, but yeah. just like, you know, like a Twitter, like, clap back into a yeah. fucking t- a story that you've put this much work into. It was That's so That's what I mean. Corny. It became that, that kind of like pussy hat feminist yeah. thing where it was performative, but... Yes, but there was no longer, like, uh, at least anybody that was watching didn't seem to be identifying with, like, the internal criticism to white feminism. Right? It, was, it was weird, as I just watched yeah. Zero Dark Thirty, to because I was doing an episode of PDA about Osama bin Laden and shit, yeah. and, like, they all, it, that was during the Bush years, or no, it was during Obama, I guess. Obama, yeah. But it was, like, Iraq War fervor. Mm-hmm. It was weird, because it was, like, yeah. Bush-era Iraq War, like, you know, rah, 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 go get them, fucking warmongering but it was under obama so it was like combined patriotism and nationalism with like all these like weird liberal identity yeah. politics things and it, they made up a woman and she was like a girl boss and she was the main character of that movie and she's also like what's up motherfuckers like the whole time she's like <laughs> walking into boardrooms and like explaining that she's gonna kill you know, some fucking yeah. family it's weird because it's like somebody who's like writing movies and tv <laughs> is out here thinking that like what people really want is like oh, a female bruce willis yeah. <laughs> it's like no that's cool we could just be women and do things the way women do but well, um, some people do want it though right because the show is fucking popular i know so, yeah, it's probably going to keep going on forever, but I do wonder where it's going to push to. We'll see. I mean, so, but this is why I brought it up, not to talk about the whole thing, because, you know, I think that's all there is to say about the whole thing, is that it it had the potential. Oh, like, one of the things that it had a potential in, actually, Jake, was that 
and obviously I'm a leftist, so this is what I see in it, is that it could have been much richer storytelling if the way that it went was into a, um, I don't say organizing, but like, um, yeah, organizing. <laughs> you know, like if she went back to like, create a coalition and find solidarity and like form an organization fight this would then become like almost kind of like buffy because buffy ended with like she shared her powers with a bunch of different uh (laughs) like so instead of there could only be one she turned it into like no i'm gonna share my powers and now there's like fucking slayers everywhere you know yeah that's how buffy ended yeah and um they could have done that, but instead they did the very American thing of going to the cult of personality hero thing. So now we've turned it into a whole, like, June is the hero that will save everyone thing, right? And so what was really interesting, um, or the reason I'm bringing this up, is because of the season four, episode four episode, which was not this week's, but last week's. But I think it was the most interesting episode, if not of the whole show, maybe of my recent memory, let's say, Right. And the reason is because it, even though it was about June, everything's about June, um, it also revealed a lot of the backstory of this handmaid called Janine. You remember which one's Janine? Oh. I don't know because you might not have gotten far enough, but basically Janine, she's a minor character. She's another handmaid. And she is basically one who is like young and pretty and very fertile. So she has been like assigned to several different houses by the time June meets her. And she's had a child and had to give her child to that family. Uh-huh. And by the time June meets her, she's kind of like fucking she's had a psychotic break, Jake. So she has like she's fucking fucked up. She's not mentally well. And she um, is like childlike in her interactions. So just like imagining her having to go through the ceremony is like you're raping a, a mentally ill person. Kind of a it's like messed up, you know? Yeah. And when they have her at one point later in another season, she has a child for this family and she becomes very attached to the child and she doesn't want to let it go. But it's like her job to be assigned to another house and leave that baby. Right. So she steals the baby and she like goes to this bridge and she's going to jump off and she ends up not killing herself or the baby because of June because she's a hero, blah, blah, blah. But as a punishment, they take out her eye. So the rest of the series, Janine is the one with the eye patch. Oh, right? I remember her, yeah. Yeah. She just exactly. said that, I remember her. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't know if you had gotten to that. But it's important that she was mentally unwell, like that she had had a psychotic break because of the situation that she was in before we even get to her eye taken out. I don't out. think I got to the part where they revealed that. Because like in the second episode or something, she Yeah, exactly. So she... Um, because what happens is whenever they do something bad, they get punished and then they get re-educated or whatever. So like re-fucking tortured into believing and drinking the Kool-Aid and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So she gets her eye patch and she goes and gets assigned to another house, whatever. And then we see her periodically in and out. And she's still just like mentally unwell. And then um, now in season four, we have an episode where the <sighs> season four is pretty messed up. They like some of the handmaidens have escaped. Right. Handmaids? Handmaids. I don't know. Handmaids. Yeah, you get it. They have escaped. It's because, well, whatever. I know, it's it's fucking Uh, weird. It's a weird title. So some of of them have escaped, and they're, like, hiding, you know, in, in like, basically an underground railroad kind of thing, where a house of some sympathetic people who are hiding them. Yeah. And June gets caught, and they have her daughter, so they fucking force her to reveal where all the other handmaidens are. Handmaids. So the rest of the handmaids get caught. And then... As they're all being driven somewhere to be re-educated or whatever the fuck, um, there's a train coming and they are able to distract someone, so they make it their escape. And then they run across the train tracks, Jake. Spoiler alert. Four out of the six, like, murdered by the train. (laughs) 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 Or, like, two get shot in the back and two get hit by the train. And then it's just Janine and June left, right? Yeah. So they go and they find these, like, pack of like rebels you know like loose people who uh june thinks might be mayday which is the organization that's like an organized rebel cause right Uh and so she's like yes i wanted to join you whatever but these people are not organized rebels who are resistance right they are just people who are trying to survive so the head guy tells them that they can stay with them in their safe space but they have to pay with whatever they have so basically like one of you has to fuck me right yeah 
And so then June is like, obviously, A, the hero, and B, she realizes that her friend is not well. So she's like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, and so then she sends her friend away. She sends Janine away. And she goes to do the thing to get to, like, have sex for survival, right? In the middle of this, there's, like, interstitials where we're seeing Janine's life before Gilead took over, right? So, like, in regular world. Okay, Jake? So this is the first time we're learning about her life before Gilead. And the first interstitial, what happens is she's, like, a young woman who works somewhere, like, at a pharmacy for an hourly job, and she calls in her job or, like, a waitress or some shit like that. So she calls in her job to be, like, I got somebody else to cover. I can't come in. I have an emergency, whatever. So then she like walks into this place and she basically is there to get an abortion. Okay. And the person who receives her proceeds to uh, convince her that she hasn't tried all her options, that she, you know, isn't she religious? Hasn't she thought about this child's life and what they could be? Um, They could help her with the money, like all this stuff. So it's basically a pregnancy crisis center. You've heard of those? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're, so they're bullshit. Those exist currently in America. Yeah. <laughs> and what they are is that when you Google abortions in your area or something like that, a lot of the first results are going to be these like fake pregnancy crisis centers, which are funded by religious organizations and like Christian right organizations. Yeah, they set it up to look like it's like basically like an abortion, abortion clinic, clinic, but there's not even abortion doctors there. There are only counselors whose job is to convince you to go with one of the other paths like adoption or raise it or keep it no matter what you know so this woman like basically tells her like oh your child's gonna get sucked out of your body limb by limb you know like horrible fucking just like why would you ever do this and pressures her and so then we cut out and we go back to terrible gilead times and then the next interstitial is her a few years later and she's in the same situation she's pregnant again and she walks into a doctor's office, and this time is a different one. And she comes in like very resolved, and she's like, "I'm here to get an abortion." And the doctor goes, "Okay, no problem." And you've thought of, you've thought through all your options. And then she immediately is like, "Yes, and I know that I can't have this baby because I already have one, and I can barely make enough for the two of us to live. And I know that I cannot possibly have this." You know, like she launches into defensive, like, "You are not going to convince me this time," <laughs> you know. And the doctor is like. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. It's your choice. You don't have to justify it to me. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that you are making the choice you want to make. And so then she's like, really, you're not going to tell me anything about the process and whatever. And she's like, no. So then the doctor's like, here's the pill. You take one today. You're probably going to feel bad tomorrow. And she's like, so there's no like vacuuming of my child out of my body, you know, like and she has this realization, Jake, that she was lied to. Right. That she, like right there in that doctor's office, she realizes that all of her problems today and her child's life and everything she can't give to her child and everything she's stuck with is because somebody lied to her. So in reality, narratively in the show, we think of Janine's first rape as whenever she was first assigned to a house as a handmaid, right? But really, Janine's first rape was in that pregnancy crisis center when somebody took something from her body without her consent, who convinced her, who manufactured her consent into doing something with her body that ultimately she did not want. Yeah, they forced her into having the kid. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So in the second doctor's office, she has the realization, obviously she has the, part, the abortion, and then when Gilead happens, all the children are taken and like re- reassigned to important people's houses, and then all the handmaids are assigned to give birth to the big important houses that don't have children, so she becomes a handmaid, and we lose her there. And then... Back to present Gilead. So they're in this camp, right, with the guy who's like, if you want to stay here, one of you has to have sex with me. June tries to do the right thing and is like, I'll do it because she shouldn't, you know. And then she can't. She's like, I absolutely can't do it. So she leaves the room. She goes and she tells Janine, like, we have to leave, whatever. And so Janine is like, okay, well, you should at least get some warm clothes and whatever before we leave. And as soon as June turns around, Janine goes and she does the thing. And she comes back. And she gives June bread <laughs> that the guy gave her. And she's like, don't worry about it. We can stay. So June realizes, shit, she went and she fucked the guy so that we would be safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then now we see that Janine, the reason that she's a broken person is because literally everybody in her life 
has taken from her body what they want without asking her. And now she has come to a point because it's not like she sees her body as a commodity. She's not a person who believes that sex is work. She's a person who has always had everything raped from her body. So now if I have to survive, then uh, yeah, I can go through this. You know what I mean? That is the conditioning of what this kind of culture does to you, what rape culture does to you. And this episode, I thought, conveyed better, like it was better written and conveyed the ideas of this entire series much better than this focus on this hero for four fucking seasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's literally all <laughs> that I wanted to bring up. What do you think? Well, that's interesting that it came back around like that and that somehow outside of the space of even being true to the original story or whatever, they mm-hmm. found someone... Good writing just happens within stuff like that sometimes. Yeah. Shows get good again and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting. So what basically where my head was at when you asked me to talk about this is that uh, this is an extremely why you mad topic because it is so focused around like the family and the, the anthropology of like how that got there or whatever, which is yeah. what we talk about a lot with the polyamory and stuff. And so like what I decided to do is watch some of it and then uh, read alongside of it something that I already bought that I was meaning to read anyway, which is um, fucking... Frederick Ingalls, Origin of Family, Private Property in the State. And um, I already knew kind of a lot of the stuff that he goes through in this book uh, from reading like Kropotkin and Sex at Dawn and stuff like that. All this other stuff that's kind of like been a foundation of really, really like before even 2016 and Bernie and stuff. I was really into this stuff because I was trying to to figure out... um, I don't know, all of society, like all fucking where it came from. So I uh, have a tendency to go way, way far back and ask questions like... This is why we're friends, Jake. Yeah, it's fucking interesting. And no one ever talks about this shit, right? So um, I thought it was interesting because Margaret Atwood's book that came out in 1985... You know, it's this classic, and I've known a lot of people that talked about, oh, I read it in high school, and it's like kind of got this like real big feminist thrust to it. It's obviously yeah. like a feminist story in a lot of ways, um, but in, in like under a microscope, you know, which is what you do when you, you do something like make a prestige TV show about this. I think a lot of these things either hold up or don't hold up these arguments about whether it is, you know, white woman feminism or it is like mm-hmm. uh, socialist feminism and stuff like that, or whether it takes into account all of these like. Like, what are we really saying, right? And so something I thought was really interesting is that Margaret Atwood, who wrote it, doesn't, like, really classify it as a particularly feminist text herself. She says, and she also says that she's not commenting on religion, which is really weird, because in the story... The alternate reality that we're living in is that basically, like, the J6, like, capital fucking siege happened, but they won, and instead of being, like, QAnon freaks specifically, it was, like, uh, dominionist types, like, uh, really, really hardcore evangelical people that want to set up a society where um, they're basically basing it off of this section of the Old Testament that involves uh, someone who can't get pregnant with his own wife, and so he uses his handmaid. That's where the Mm -hmm. handmaids come from, is that they create a fucking form of government where they reorganize, essentially, like, family, which is kind of interesting. So the reason I think that's relevant to this Engels thing is because um, what Engels does in this book... uh, that he wrote, uh, this text, right, is sort of apply historical materialism to the evolution of the family. Because around that time, he's arguing with all these Enlightenment thinkers who are, uh, they're arguing very idealistically, for example. Like, uh, one of them, McLennan, this other guy, uh, his whole idea is that, um that there was like a matriarchal society and then there was a shift to patriarchal society and the way that that happened was from like religion. So he's tracking all these myths in like Greek religion and he's going, look, here you can see certain things happen in the myths that switch from like the gods being matriarchal to the gods being patriarchal. So what he's arguing is then everyone followed the the myths. Like, everyone followed their religion because religion is what controls people. Obviously, mm-hmm. as materialists, we know that this is backwards, right? And so yeah. the myths that you tell and the stories that you tell and stuff like that, the superstructure is like a, ge- a reflection of what is actually happening materially. And so, you know, what, what um, Engels does is he goes through some stuff that Marx wrote and some stuff that this guy named Lewis Morgan wrote before Marx and Engels, who was an American anthropologist who lived at the Iroquois, um, and he he identifies basically that um, way 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 back in the beginning his big hypothesis 
is it like primitive primeval society where everyone is communal, which we know to be kind of the basis for like the argument of uh, historical materialism and communism, right? Before we had property, mm -hmm. the, the fact that we didn't have property uh, the way we do now uh, caused, the, the result of that was that the family was structured differently and that everything was very yeah. communal. So like their hypothesis is this thing called consanguinity, which means that like everyone who is on a certain generation level is just kind of like, they're all in a form of marriage with each other. So you're in this big, yeah. weird poly group thing. And like, you, you don't have like brothers and sisters and incest taboos and stuff. Everyone's like fucking their cousins and stuff like that. Cause you're in these small societies. It's really fucking weird to think about. You're but. the parent to all of the next generation. That's all it is. Right. You know, and it's why paternity didn't matter. And monogamy was not a thing. Monogamy was an idea that came after the idea of property. Right. Well, so the and way property came after agriculture, the way that it's, expl yeah, the, the way that, yeah. the way that at least, at least, because I mean, people will argue about this stuff, and it's all—it's not 100% definitive. But I think at least arguing, like, here's the framework, kind of makes this make sense, and it's what makes sense to me. So, like, the—the the idea being that you know there was consanguinity, and then we there's just these inter like mediary kind of uh, stages that I always get a little blurry on when I read about this stuff. But it's like that turned into like a thing called a gents, which is like where you kind of form into like. Um, little clans and stuff like that and then that forms into a stem and like the stem structure is really interesting because like in like Game of Thrones that's kind of what the families were like like in Game of Thrones the, the part of history that they're replicating through fantasy it's not like everyone lives in a house and there's like a mom a dad yeah. and then three kids and then that they're, they're separate from everyone else it's like the bloodlines like there's a king yeah. and then all of his kids are part of his fucking castle kingdom thing yeah. and then like you know so they give away women and stuff like that and yeah. um what's also interesting about game of thrones is so the guy he was arguing with uh mclennan his idea his the the prevailing anthropological idea of the or of the family structure and like where it came from was this guy's bullshit idea which was he basically thought there was uh this thing called exogeny and this thing called mm -hmm. endogeny and or endogamy like um, like polyam or whatever um polygot yeah. whatever um so he thought that everyone was they were in clans and there were two types of clans one type of clan was if you were in the clan you went outside of it and you grabbed and stole a woman and you brought her back mm -hmm. and uh that that's how we're, we're people formed bloodlines <laughs> and the other kind was you married within and then everything forms from there and he doesn't have a good argument for it it's bullshit also oh, it's all bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> in game of thrones mm -hmm. if that sounds familiar that's how the wildlings operate, right? Yeah. You go steal a woman. So, like, clearly George R. R. Martin read all this shit, and he was, like, really... Yeah. The whole st fucking story is about bloodlines, so it makes sense that he was, like, a big history nerd, right? Um, yeah. So he might have incorporated something that wasn't even... Like, I, I don't think that was real. Like, I don't think it was from history, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway... It's from medical history, basically, or science history. Because the... Uh, just very quickly, like... Uh, Basically, like all the men that were writing the books about what is, quote unquote, natural to humanity, were setting up experiments, um, observational experiments of the animals that they predetermined the choice of animal based on their biases of understanding of how men and women behave. So, for example, a lot of the um, science about gender and shit and human like family organization from the, oh, I want to say 1800s through the 1900s, like mid-1900s, was based on these guys that were working on bonobos. Like, they observed bonobos All instead right. of chimpanzees, which once we developed DNA cap capacity, you know, understanding, we discovered that chimpanzees are closer to us than bonobos. And chimpanzees are uh, matriarchal, and, you know, they have a structure similar to what Ingalls is saying. Well, I think so you got this entirely, it's, you're right, but it's backwards. Chimpanzees no. are the ones that rape and murder and stuff, and bonobos are the ones that are matriarchal. No, bonobos are bad. What? Hey, not bonobos. It's not bonobos. It's another no, you one. got this backwards. Uh, no, it's not bonobos, though. Bonobos is a monkey. It's another one. It's like the one with the bare butt. Fuck. Which uh, animal Baboons? Baboons? I don't know. I'll no, look up what I, I the swear to God, you got, this is the whole point of Sex of Dawn. Is no, that... but it's not chimps. Yeah, no, but, it, but either way, it wasn't uh, an ape that was near us. The science for the 1800s was based on... An animal, fuck, which animal is it? I already started smoking weed. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Point think, is that I he chose, you're... it doesn't matter. Point is he chose an animal that was uh, patriarchal in its organization, right? right? And that um, had, did this fucking like stealing women, <laughs> right. stealing female shit and all of that stuff, studied them and then was like, this is human's natural state. And then a whole bunch of science then built up on that 
being true. So when people reference it, it's almost like when you talk to your parents about like Pluto or Uranus or Uranus, you know, and they like don't know that science has changed since they last read a book. (laughs) So that's where the fucking like our natural state is that nuclear family patriarchal shit comes from. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that that's what is talked about in Sex of Dawn. Unless I'm getting this wrong, which I don't know. It sounds yeah. like we have different information here. Is it like the, the whole point of that is that for so long with Darwin and stuff like that, we were going off of uh, specifically uh, yeah, a model that was based on something that we thought was close to us. And like what, what I heard was that it was chimpanzees because Darwin figured out that we're close to chimpanzees. And chimpanzees are patriarchal and evil. and Not evil, but like they're, they're violent yeah. and stuff like that. And this supports the Hobbesian like uh, hypothesis of like we come from savagery right we come from evil and all this stuff what would happen is uh, no one was able to study bonobos at the time because bonobos lived in the Congo and there's a civil war and you couldn't go in there so after yeah. the civil war ended and you can go study bonobos people realized oh this also after DNA and stuff like that we realized that yeah. bonobos are equidistant genetically from us the same uh, degree as chimpanzees right. so there's no argument you can make is like we came from one of these these are just cousins of ours and yeah. bonobos are they live in a big fucking like orgy all the time and they mm-hmm. don't fight and they're matriarchal I think and uh, they are, yeah. and they're you know they're chilling all the time and so this is the argument people make evolutionary psychology whatever for um, not for like we're supposed to be monogamous it's look at these two things like there's no argument to be made we're supposed to be either way but we're living in a world that imposes you opposes on you because of fucking old, you know, shitty white male researchers and stuff. The argument that you are supposed to be the first way, the, the chimpanzee or whatever the fuck it was. Um, so obviously Engels is a big fucking freak. And if you know anything about his life, he like, he's a rich guy, but he like married Mary Burns who worked in factories and stuff and like, um, you know, slummed it with her and stuff. And then when she died, he just married her sister cause they lived with her and stuff. And neither of them believed in marriage, him and Mary Burns. Like, um, it's interesting, but, but he, he works out this whole framework of, so once you get through stems and gens and stuff like that, um, he thinks that things are, I think if I'm, I might be going to finish the book. I might have got this wrong. This might be the other guys this might be Lewis, but, um, one of these people at least, and I think it's, it's Ingalls is arguing. So things are uh, actually matriarchal because when you live in groups where, um, women are what's called polyandrous, which is that they have multiple partners. Um, it's impossible to tell who's the, chi- who's, who's father, father, who fathered the mm-hmm. child. And so women are the only surefire way to know where the bloodline passes. So that's the way family was structured until yeah. the advent of agriculture and property. And when property became a thing, that's when there was a switch to the man being fucking supreme and dominant in the household and stuff like that. Because what he would usually, what, what th- that caused the man to then own the woman because you now you need fidelity in order to ensure that you are passing your property down to the children that are yours and not somebody else fucked your wife or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. But you skipped a few steps because this agriculture is what created the importance of man. (laughs) You know, Uh, if you're going to stay until a land, suddenly it became more important to have more people in your group who are the strong ones who can till the land. Right. Yeah. Whereas before, when you were foragers and nomads and you moved around, what was important was your ability to socialize, to share, to help, to look out, to care. Right. And then once you're like, we're going to settle down here and fucking build a house and do all this shit, it becomes important to have all the muscle dudes. Right. And then once the muscle dudes had had power, because now you need us. Right. Then it was easy to go from there to now that I have put all the my physical strength into tilling this land, let's say, and building this house, I'm going to put up this fence and this belongs to me now, right? So now we create the idea of property. And then as you say, that becomes connected to who gets my property after I leave and therefore easily one hop skip away is the woman is also my property because I need to make sure she can't have children with anyone else so that I can pass it on through my lineage. So yeah, you're right. Well, just wanted to get into the details of like muscles also mattering. Sure. I'm sure that stuff plays into it. All this stuff is also like, honestly, as much as I'm like, I believe certain parts of this, it's all up for debate and stuff. It's like ongoing. I believe it a hundred percent. Write me the hate mail. Well, (laughs) 
the, just the reason I'm saying that is because like I'm not. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is not. This is 100 percent true. I'm saying this is the framework of an argument that I'm going to use to fucking say another thing. So like, okay. you get all this material basis as the as the mode of production changes and as the way that we organize our resources changes. Like with things changing through modes like, you know, being a hunter gatherer to then uh, having sort of this like weird traveling, you know, fucking nomad shit. Uh, barbarian style stuff to ultimately like planting fucking agriculture and stuff and having food that changes is always what Engels is saying is the the shape of the family and ultimately you end up in this monogamous Victorian thing and it's interesting because I like Engels a lot and I think he's a good jumping off point but he's also a fucking shitty old white guy from the past and like so his the way that he worked all this into communism was um, that he thought after communism the way he rationalized it, and I think this is he's rationalizing it based off of just the way he wants to live, is um, that things, you know, obviously women will be more free because there's, like, more communal, like, daycare and communal raising of children and stuff like that. But he still didn't believe in, like, polyamory in the sense of having multiple relationships. What he thought was people at the top of the pyramid are more enslaved by the property relations. So they have very like lame, like succession or game of Thrones style, like, you know, arranged marriages and stuff like that that are boring, but the working class marries for love. And so he's a big romantic and he's like, after the communist revolution, everyone will have like, we'll still have marriage, but it's for love. And that's why it's better in communist. And honestly, if you read like Alexandra Kolontai, she goes way farther than him. And it's because she's yeah. a woman and she's not some fucking guy who wants to own his wife. Cause he's conditioned to be that way or whatever. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, with, with him, it's like, well, okay. So all that to say, at least we're working off this idea that I do think is true, which is that at least the, the structure of the family historically comes from a material basis on how we're organizing stuff, not from like religion and stuff like that, right? So it does accept with one thing though. Okay. Because what everything you just explained did not lead to monogamy being the standard. Because men were not monogamous, Jake. Well no, no, sure. Yeah. Right? When I say monogamy, so, I don't mean like actually right. in practice. So the nuclear family as we know it today is and as I would say is both is being critiqued in the handmaid's tale is not the one of the Middle Ages. You understand me? The Middle Ages version of marriage has almost nothing to do with monogamy or nuclear family. It is about power exchanges and land exchanges and fucking all of this shit. That's what I meant. Yeah, exactly. And then the nuclear family of today, especially in America, is a socioeconomic product because of um, a combination of religion and technology developing. So as technologies developed and like companies had to sell washers and dryers <laughs> and like fucking whatever, they uh, began to atomize families into this into this model where you exist just as a marketable unit of mo- mother, father, two point five children, that shit. And then it became a thing that was pushed in media and through religion. But it was never. It wasn't. So it was related to material reality, but of capitalism. Right. Well, it's yeah. it's constantly expressing itself as a result of the mode of production. Right. You're right. correct. Yes. Yeah. So the point being, the whole reason I went through all of that is to get to, because, I mean, you're right. The thing is, I was saying monogamy. I was just saying it shorthand. What I mean is, like, nuclear yeah. family. And in the nuclear family, actually, one thing that's really fucked up, and one of the reasons that I'm a big fucking polyamory apologist or whatever is like historically the assumption has been made in the even the victorian style nuclear family that the man is infidel at uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh, it, it cheats like it's like yeah. understood like it's weird yeah. the woman doesn't and the guy's like i guess the strip club yeah. or whatever he has he mistresses has a lady and, even in the house yeah because like you still have a drive and all this stuff it's fucking stupid right um it's just kind of cramming stuff into a space it doesn't belong in in yeah. my opinion right and uh i think that's why people get divorced i think it's why they're miserable it's like you can why why live out the facade of what is referred to as domestic bliss, which doesn't actually exist in the way that we think it does, which is something Engels talks about too. Um, But anyway, so in fucking Handmaid's Tale, there's this, uh, you know, this reality, the science fiction reality, alternate timeline, where this religious cult like takes over and they set up fucking government and stuff and they impose a, family structure essentially is what this is a nightmarish family structure that none of us want to go back to or whatever or go into um and 
I honestly like I thought I thought I was gonna be more mad about this when I was watching it and I th- <laughs> I think that they there is a hint of actually this kind of is well thought out because mainly because they keep referring to like the colonies and they keep alluding yeah. to this government that she's living under having some sort of like imperial nature to it and like yeah. goal but it's like it's because it's never really spelled out or at least as much as I've read and watched and stuff I yeah. think it's people are entirely open to either um, really do all the math in your head and go oh, okay like this is like a patriarchal in the sense of like it comes from the mode of production you know thing that's expressing itself that we're only seeing a little bit of here and there because we're seeing the story through the eyes of someone who's just caught yeah. in it or you know, I mean, there's it's open for all this like white woman feminism to go like it's it's make a very idealistic argument about this and go, it, it this is what happens when you know you just like let men be too toxic or whatever or yeah. like it, it's all coming from the evils of the human heart and I don't think it really. Even in the show, I mean, they do a pretty good job of explaining, like, that a lot of the men that are caught in the system don't want to be in it either, and it's just, like, Mm -hmm. a system that got out of control. But what is so kind of boring and, like, let it down to me is that even Margaret Atwood says, oh, it's not about religion, it's just about power. And you go, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Because, like, yeah, sure. Religion is a tool through which power is exercised, so it's... And it's in her book. It is in it, because... Um, even like the phrases they repeat, like, okay, as an anthropologist, honestly, anything that is ritual and that involves um, prescriptive language repeated over and over, that is, that is religion, Jake. So this like, the rituals developed by this Gilead society that they then like put on everyone that they had to do every day. That is religion. They pray. Do you remember they say, may the eye be open or some shit? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, what's the other thing? Under about? his eye, blessed Under be his the eye, fruit. Blessed be the fruit. That's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. So blessed be the fruit is a specific reference to the fact that this society um, places the highest value on, on babies, on new children, right? Yeah. Because you get that the whole context is that they're having like a low birth rate, a crisis right. in their country. So this is one thing. Um, I don't know if this is a place to interject, but like earlier you said that in the Handmaid's Tale, they um, they seem to be doing something where they like reorganize the family structure. And I would disagree with you there because I think really what they were doing is they were they reorganized class structure in order to uphold the nuclear family. So or not even just the nuclear family, but also the top class. So it's like a classist project of Gilead where what they identified is that not poor people aren't having children, the rich people aren't having children. So in order to solve that and make it a society where rich people can maintain their nuclear family situation, we are going to reorganize the lower classes and classify a certain amount of fertile fertile women to now serve in this role where all they do is provide a child to this family. Right. Yeah. So they didn't actually change. And then be, remember, it's not like the handmaid gets to live with them and be like a nanny that takes care of her ch- child and has like a relationship with them or some shit. They get moved to the next house to birth another baby. Yeah. They never get to see that child or name it or anything like they give birth and they're not allowed to hold it. Yeah, I mean, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Like, I, you could say, well, this is... No, but I, but but you know why? Because I think if they were trying to actually reorganize, like if Margaret, Margaret Atwood... Like, I don't think they're organizing it for the better. I think that they're... No, no. But, yeah, but, you know, Margaret Atwood kind of sucks now, right? Everybody knows that? Did you, <laughs> did you know that? Yeah, I know. Uh, I figured. She signed, she signed that anti-culture letter, oh, cancel God, culture dude, letter. <laughs> yeah, dude, book in 1985. She yeah, so she fucking sucks. So, of course, she was like, I didn't try to do anything feminist or whatever. So, that's why. So, like, she was not thinking in doing this that they, she was, like, reorganizing the family structure in, in this society. As a matter of fact, I think that the allegory works for it being about our society because it is about the extent to which the system will overextend itself and us to sustain itself, right? So, and it's actually very, like, about class in a way that I don't think she realizes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, 
that's why it's great art, I think, because the, the artist's intent doesn't matter. Well, you we can read all these different things into it. Yeah, I know. It's, it's still pretty good. Like, I don't yeah. I, I, I think it, there's a very easy opening for us as stupid online leftists to come in and yeah. really bash the shit out of it. And I don't think that's when I was watching yeah. it. I was like, this is a well-told story. There's yeah. a lot of the, the fucking the uh, conflicts are really yeah. thrilling. You know what I liked? I wanted to ask you about um, cultural, the cultural relativity. Mm, so, like, well. Okay. Cultural relativity is a no-no in anthropology, right? Like, you're not supposed to conceive of other cultures as like, oh, you know, they're just like a little bit behind us on the timeline, and that's why they don't have women's rights. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're not supposed to... Um, it's, it's hard to explain. Like, let me think about it. Okay, but yeah, in no, this I, show, I you get about. what I'm saying? So in this show, what's interesting is that they will show things about how, like, Canada, right? So Canada becomes the only named country that is our near neighbor that is still, like, quote, modern and secular and, quote, normal, right? Yeah. And so when they show, like, the news people from Canada, they're talking about Gilead, like, the way that Americans talk about Arab countries, right? Where they're like, oh, my God, they're like keeping women from like, exercising their rights and they're fucking not giving them abortion and uh, and they're like you know uh doing um what do you call them mutilations um you know when they um, Judge female circumcision yeah. female circumcision yeah and well, it's this thing where it's like in so in anthropology i've been taught like you're not you can't go as an outsider and be like like judge this thing that is happening or that is valued in another culture as being primitive as compared to yours, right? It's just a different fucking culture that values different things. And so then watching this thing where it was like, we are supposed to be like, oh, this is horrible what's happening to the women in Gilead. But then to watch the quote Western world talk about them in this like pitying way it was weird because it was like a mirror held up. Yeah, how we talk about most of the world. Well, I think it's an interesting taboo within yeah. anthropology because I think it directly conflicts with like the Marxist theory of phases yeah. of history and stuff like that. And I don't know if I am entirely a hundred percent on that either because I mean I've had really I've heard really ignorant people talk about like what's yeah. going on in the Middle East and be like oh they're just in the Middle Ages and stuff like that and they're not That's they'll so catch up with us yeah. and like, stupid right and also yeah. something really funny is a while back I was talking to an older person who said that uh, they think that the reason America goes to war is to protect us from you know they're trying to impose all this like primitive right. family stuff on us and I was like mm -hmm. dude all of that shit is like coming from inside the house like the, yeah, exactly, the biggest threat yeah. to women in America is coming from like our society yeah. right yeah, it's yeah. so funny that people think like you know with that it's gonna be like Muslims that come yeah. here cut you know, off our clits like, no it's fucking well, Christians yeah. you know but, um, but, but I think it's interesting and also the only thing I wanted to get to is that so she wrote this in 1985 in the middle of, you know, 80s fucking Cold War bullshit. And I think that, that this is why I was really suspicious when I was watching it. I was like, when is it going to drop? When is this going to accidentally be really stupid, uh, nationalistic, jingoistic, pro-America yeah. stuff? And honestly, I think the premise, I would be surprised if she was not somewhat familiar with the family planning stuff that happened in China with like, you know, you can only have one daughter and stuff like that yeah. uh, or one kid or whatever the fuck, how it worked yeah. because that was influenced by angles. They got it from this yeah, fucking the one book. child policy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, also like, I don't think that's a good policy. It's fucking weird and bad, you know? And so uh, I was curious if, if like, I, I think just think it's really interesting that she left it very vague. Like, the, 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 this isn't a comment on. It has like undertones of, oh, this is like when they took over in Nazi Germany, like with like a coup and stuff like that. Yeah. But it, it's not like in 1984. It has like a kind of well thought out, like this. Well, most dystopian, I guess, shit doesn't really. But yeah. like, what is she saying? Is the underlying like thing? If you're somebody that looks at things on a big scale like this, materialistically. What is the overall, like, overall driving force of this Gilead thing? And I guess I, what I'm worried about is that fucking, like, modern, shitty, stupid Americans are really tempted to assign it to something really immature and just like, oh, it's, you know, toxicity or whatever, just like... But that's, but Jake, I think you're wrong to it. I think that that's why the reads on it as being white feminism is correct. Because it's like, it gets slightly below the surface of the issues, 
but it doesn't connect to anything else. You understand me? So it's and honestly, it's not surprising, right? Because it is a privileged white woman who wrote this. The, right? Also, so, can like, I just say like fucking yeah. Peggy? What's her face from Mad Men? Peggy yeah. Olsen, what is that actress's name? The, the mm-hmm. first thing that occurred to me when I was watching this is that this is a Scientologist, this actress. So is like, she? Yeah, oh, she's a big famous Scientologist. And she's in this show that's like, what if you were in a scary cult? And it's uh, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> how am I <laughs> but, supposed to not think about that? Listen, man, I think actors are not smart people. I really honestly like don't think that they think of what they're in. Like most of them, the ones there's exceptions to the rule, but I think most actors especially if they're good they're blank canvases you know <laughs> they're just like vessels for the writers and the costume people <laughs> the real artists sorry actors love you just kidding um but listen what was i telling you i was telling you something oh the white feminism thing so that's where i think that this the book and the show and the author they they reach a point of limitation like their point of view is limited and that is why i think in most it can most accurately be described as a work of white feminism because it does accurately portray a lot of the oppression of women, let's say, and like where it comes from. You know, I I said, I think there's great characters in like the Marthas in the Lydia's, the ones that like train the handmaid, you know, Um, in the wives, like there is crazy amount of nuance in the different type of women represented in this show. And in how they are both complicit and oppressed, even at the lowest level, in different ways, right? But it becomes white feminism because it doesn't, it never goes so far as to interrogate race into class, into organizing around the principle of we suffer the same material fate across classes, so we should have solidarity yeah in in the book they accomplish that in this really awkward way which is that they just imply that in the overall takeover there were these operations to like send black people away and send Jews away and all this stuff and so they isolate it down to basically white women in the book yeah i think as a way of just ignoring trying to grapple with any of this stuff yeah exactly (laughs) yeah Yeah. i call it uh not painting the hands (laughs) it's like when you're when you can paint but you can't paint hands so you just like don't put the hands in the frame (laughs) (laughs) That's like, a really good. Out. <laughs> gonna, the title is going to be not paying the handmaid still. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing that I had written down here actually is more like of a philosophical thing, but like relating to all of your explanation of angles, um, because it is funny to me to hear just men, they're 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 writing on whatever the origin of humanity, but I think it's a problem for all people of all genders today. That I think that we have, and I've talked about it before a little bit with when we talked about time in other episodes because you know time is a thing I obsess with but I really think that um, we have a problem with the fact that we're obsessed with this idea of a natural state or of like returning to a pristine primitive past not to be all alliterative (laughs) but this whole like when Biden was running and it was like, oh, return to yeah. whatever, even fucking Trump. Yeah, and MAGA stuff America, is... Great. Yeah, exactly. All this like it's like this... cl- climbing back in the womb and feeling warm yeah. kind of shit. These are all manifestations in the way that we're all, all obsessed, like even like people doing um, keto diets and being like, I'm eating like a caveman. <laughs> like, you fucking <laughs> idiot. Uh, it's all these things that people do to be like, how do I get to like the original version of humanity <laughs> that is somehow like, dude, how would it help you to live like a quote caveman when you live in a fucking apartment? And it's <laughs> well, that's another thing about this being like a dystopian tale that people yeah. engaged with to sort of rationalize what was happening in the Trump era is that all of this kind of implies things were good before the Trump era. Mm-hmm. You know, that this, that's the that's the fun of the story that yeah. you're telling yourself if you're somebody in 2016 yeah. going, oh, my god this thing came in and changed everything away from what things were like before which was good and it's like such a fallacy you see it all the time a good example right now is andrew yang running for fucking mayor in 
New York. Mm-hmm. He keeps saying we're going to go back to like we're going to get New York running again. And what people to the left of him, like Diane Morales, people like that, are saying is that the, the way New York was running before the pandemic did not work for everyone. So what we have right yeah. now is an opportunity to move in a like a third, newer, better direction. But this like language of appealing to everyone who's scared and freaked out, which is a natural state of the human mind, is totally. we're just going to go back, you know, and it's going to be just I'm like it give was. You a standing ovation right now because that's exactly what I was writing down, Jake. I was writing down like in Handmaid's Tale the fact that like the goal for all the characters continually is to escape to Canada, right. which is basically just like a return to secular America. Yeah. Right? There is no conception for Atwood or any character within her world that there is a third option of build a different world. That would right? be a cool ending for the Handmaid's yeah, Tale. Exactly. But they are not I mean, it's I think we thing, as a species <laughs> are not that creative. Like that's the problem with socialism, I think, is that we have to convince each other that there is a third possibility. You know what I mean? And then the truth is we're scared little primates and we're like, oh, what if I just stay with this tree here, though? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're living yeah. in like an absurd state in history where, I mean, I think we just kind of hit a wall where you're like, yeah. oh, no, we, all of our power came from organizing as a group. And now we are extremely atomized. So everyone's living in choose your own adventure reality. And like, yeah. how do you build a better world from this? I don't I don't fucking know. It's a million dollar question, you know? Yeah. But I think that yeah. uh, all that being to say that. Being said, that's that's why all the parts of this that were very cringy jumped out at me because I'm like, I know what you're doing. You're appealing to yeah. these like lame fears that people have. Like one thing I also couldn't stop thinking about while I was watching it was um, the white woman morbidity thing. Like, well, you know, this is kind of a trope in comedy. Like, why why do white women and white people, I guess, love like true crime so much? Like, uh, mm. you know, like you, you <laughs> you're you, why do you watch like all this? you know murder stuff and like svu and stuff like that and there's all these great jokes about it like oh i, I you know watch svu as a fantasy to see mm-hmm. a world in which police actually you know take care of stuff like this or whatever but like yeah. what is the cell it seems self-indulgent to me i guess and this is i am as, yeah. as somebody who has morbid interests and is into serial killers and all that sort of stuff it's yeah. like something about it is um it seems counterproductive like it's like the, the fantasy of watching this white woman character in Handmaid's Tale be so oppressed is like, yeah. you're like get, getting something out of going like, that's literally what my life is like. And it's like not, you know. Totally. Jake, I agree. I 100% agree. And I think it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, like, uh, which I think was a point I should have saved for the end because that is the problem. It's like the show was well made. And I think part of the reason a lot of women got burnt out on it is because they felt pressure to relate to the negative side of being a white woman because they were all so willing to relate exactly as you're saying you know to like envelop themselves in like yeah this is the word this is how possible like the worst possible future of being a woman you know what else the kind of play to that is like uh fucking this i'm sorry maybe i'm just cynical but i mean as soon as the story started it was like my best friend is a black lesbian and my husband is black and my kid is yeah, black. It's like, totally. it seems like it's very white guilty, like kind of apologizing yeah. and saying like, I'm not one of the bad white people. The yeah, bad white totally. people are the enemies in this show. I am yeah. someone else who is, you know, not Absolutely. fucking like, but responsible then, for any of What's this crazy stuff. about that is that means, Jake, what are the odds that out of the millions of people watching this TV show, not one of them is like the commander's wife. Not one of them is like <laughs> the Martha who has resigned herself to taking care of everyone else instead of herself. Not one of them is like the Lydia who polices other women's behavior and calls other women sluts and wonders why out loud why they have only fans. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh, actually, no, I know a bunch of you. I know a bunch of commanders, wives and Lydia's and Martha's and handmaids. And you there's only people identifying with the rebellious handmaid who's going to save everyone who's like, I've been through all the things, but I will be do the right thing. Meanwhile, you haven't been through all the things, dear watcher. And you're also not saving anyone. And you're also unwilling to identify with the white women version of complicity. That's the thing that really gets me. And I think this is an ultimate failure of this. It's very individualistic and it's very like put yourself in the position of the good white person because it's reminding me of conversations that I've had recently about the police where like I've been talking to like liberals and stuff and they'll say, you know, I'm an abolitionist or whatever. I fucking, uh, or not even that actually. Uh, Let's say somebody else, for example, fucking loves cable news and says, 
oh, you know, they, we need to reform the police and all this stuff. And I, I'm not racist. I'm not racist like those other white people and all this stuff. And, you know, we have this con- conception of racism as being this, like, essentialist thing where you're evil, you know. And it, in so much prestige TV right now, we're fixated on these, like, Nazi characters where, that are, like, old-timey, like, you know, clan members and stuff. And they're evil, mm-hmm. right? But what no one is asking is, like, what about the evil that actually is, I think, 100% of the problem? It's fucking zero percent it's like evil people walking around it's the complicity with yeah. when you're trapped even even in a system like this when you're trapped even at the bottom of it you, if you're not actively working against it and also like trying to get other people actively working against it you're just living in a fantasy where you are not complicit in supporting the whole fucking thing because nobody yeah. identifies as the the wives at the, the top guy, of the system yeah. and also mm-hmm. you know what i mean this isn't this is a dystopian exaggeration it is a nightmare it is showing yeah. you like an extreme exaggerated version of complicity which is the women at the top of this thing but we live in something that is ostensibly leading to something like this at some point and no one is doing anything to stop it because no one can everyone makes excuses for like you know i i have to be in capitalism i have to do i have to get ahead or whatever i have to get jobs and then you know whatever and it's like well that's what that is like i, I don't know i'm having trouble drawing a, a, a fucking parallel here because i got too many things going around in my head but like if you're if you're not against like the police, it doesn't matter how much you fucking signal about how good exactly. of a person you are. Um, and exactly. if if you're not making the hard choices, then it doesn't matter how yeah. much you engage with a TV show like this and imagine that you're June and that you're oppressed yeah. and that you're like that you're this individual like you know Bruce Willis fucking cowboy character that's going to overtake the system. That is not mm-hmm. how systems are overtaken. They're overtaken yeah. collectively by resistance. You know. Which includes um, examining your own, the ways in which you benefit from the way things are currently organized. That's the thing. No one ever wants to do that, right? It's always like, well, I'll do everything except that because I got to get mine, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad you watched it because I thought this was one of our best episodes. I really got everything off of my chest and got so much more to think about with what you added to it. Um, I love doing this podcast. Me too. I, last week I ended up being like sad about it, <laughs> but this week I am happy about it. Oh, so I'm glad we did it. Um, you want to plug anything? We're gonna do our Patreon now, so patrons, you'll get your Patreon episode this week. If you're a new listener to the show, we have a Patreon, and on our Patreon we do a lot of bonus content. Some of it is we answer emails from our like Q and A. Like if you email us a question, we'll just fucking answer it. Um. Yeah, yeah. And so. then other times we just rant about the things that we're really mad about that we feel like we shouldn't put on main. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, that's worth five bucks or three bucks or whatever. We don't even set a price. We're, we're you know, we're communists. We're like, leave a dollar, give a dollar, whatever. Take a dollar. Don't <laughs> um, take a dollar. Okay. I, if you're in New York City, yes, uh, my show is on Thursday, which I think is when this is coming out. There will probably still be tickets left. I would love to have people come out so I don't feel bad and like I'm failing at things. Um, Casual Sets NYC on Twitter, and you can find the link there. It's every two weeks. I would love it if you come. Other than that, I don't have anything to plug. Jake? Yeah, just Pod Damn America, and uh, I have a live show on the, what is it, like the 21st? Uh, yeah, Friday, the 21st, in Manhattan, the Bee Cafe. I'll post about it on Twitter and stuff. Awesome. I, I'm going to go. Can't wait. Okay. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs>